my name is Kimberly Ross, and I'll never forget the time when my son told me about how he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I've been praying for Brennan for a long time. Uh, we moved up here about eight years ago, and uh, he just wasn't too thrilled about the move. Um, his attitude and demeanor went downhill. Brennan is a wonderful, great kid, don't get me wrong. It's just I knew that there was something that needed to shift, a big change, something that as a mom I wasn't able to, to give to him. I am so thankful for Grace Community Church. Uh, we started going to Grace in Fremont. A couple years after we had started, um, we found out they were launching a church in Tiffin. So we were excited about that because it was closer to home. And then Brennan had some really good opportunities. Uh, he was able to get involved uh, with the Alpine Trip uh, Kalahari and Fuse on Sundays. And then it was great because I feel like when he was involved in those trips, he was uh, grew a closer relationship with God, and he was able to have more positive influencers in his life, um, like Pastor AJ. So Brennan was still struggling, even after all these great things that were going on in his life. I really wanted to reach out to Pastor AJ, but something was just telling me, you know, to kind of hold off. God put the brakes on and said, no, no, you've got to let him, you know, figure this out on his own. And then little did I know that Brennan had actually reached out to AJ and they uh, got together uh, one night uh, for dinner. And then the next morning when I was talking to Brennan, uh, he told me that he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And um, I was just blown away. Uh, I couldn't believe it, you know. Something that you want for your children is for them to accept Jesus into their hearts and to know that he did this all on his own. And it wasn't, you know, because I wanted it. It was just, you know, something that brought so much joy. You know, I can't wait to see what God does in his life. It's just another story about you know what what we're here for, change life, and how that happens in, in different ways with different people. Uh, we're in a series called EO3, which stands for Everyone on Three. That's three campuses, three goals, three years. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as, as we continue this morning. But last week we talked about Zacchaeus's story in Luke chapter 19. And as we talked about, and we saw his conversion, uh, where he became a follower of Christ, we noticed some, some issues that were there. We, we talked about, first of all, we saw the key to conversion, and that is the gospel, that we can understand that and respond to it. But then we saw also the sign of conversion, and the sign in Zacchaeus's life, there were three of those in the story. First of all, joy. Second, secondly, generosity, and then third, making past wrongs right as much as you're able to do that. So that's his story. It's all about conversion. And, and I'll just pause, and I don't normally do this, but just so you know, because this is kind of the Sunday, this is the kind of things we're talking about. Last Sunday, 13 people indicated salvation uh, right here in Fremont, just to give you an example of what God is doing uh, amongst us. And today I want to talk about, well, at the end of the story of Zacchaeus, right, you might remember this in verse 10, it says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
And so that was Jesus' mission. That's what he says to the people after Zacchaeus becomes a believer. And that's our mission. We want to continue that mission from Christ. And so I'm going to today talk about some of our vision on how we think we can best do that. But before I get there, I really want to continue with Zacchaeus' story just a little bit. Because remember, the context of that was Jesus had stopped in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is 15 to 18 miles away. That's a six or an eight-hour walk. And so that day, Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem. And there are a bunch of expectations of exactly what would happen uh, when he got there. And so they're, they're looking at this, and they're thinking, hey, Jesus is the king, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he's the one we've been waiting for for hundreds of years, and now he's going to Jerusalem to take his throne. And at the end of the chapter 19, it's the triumphal entry. But Jesus, knowing that, before he leaves Jericho and leaves Zacchaeus, he actually tells a parable to the people as he leaves town. And this parable teaches us some things. First of all, it teaches that the king is here, but he's going to be gone for a while, and then he's going to return. And remember, this is just like a week before Christ is crucified. Three days later, he's resurrected, and 40 days after that, he's ascended up into heaven. So basically, this parable is teaching, hey, the king's going to be gone, but the king's going to return. And that's happening. So about two months after this, created this gap that we're still in today. Jesus has been here. He's ascended to heaven, and we're still waiting for him to come back. That's what this parable focuses on. And he's telling us that while we're waiting for his return, that his followers are to be about his business. And so this parable is going to explain all that. We'll just kind of jump into it. But here's what I want you to look for. In this story, Jesus is illustrating God's generosity, our responsibility, and our accountability. And I just got to tell you, this parable, it's called the parable of the minus. People have different names for it. But this is a parable that hardly any pastor teaches on. And you'll, you'll see maybe why at the very end of this parable. But here, we're starting off God's generosity. We'll pick it up in Luke chapter 19. Next verse after chapter 10 where we ended is chapter 11. And it goes like this. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, and here's the story, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. So that's the setting, that's the story. This nobleman's going to go, and this is a familiar theme in that time in history. For example, when King Herod died, who was king when Jesus was born, this has already happened, uh, he had a will, and there were three different people competing for who should get to be king, and they all went 
to Jerusalem to figure that out. This is how this works, and one of them's going to come back king, kind of a deal. And so the, this nobleman's leaving to go get his kingship, but before he goes, he calls 10 servants together, and he gives each of the 10 servants one mina. And a mina is a form of money, and in today's money, it's about four months' wages, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. It's a hunk of change. He gives this to each one of his slaves. <clears throat> and we're reminded, <clears throat> by the way, that every good thing that we have is from God. Every good thing that we have today is ultimately on loan to us from God. It's only by his grace and his goodness. So that's God's generosity. Now, our responsibility. So he wanted his servants to put these resources to work. And what that means, when he says do business with them, with these minas, he's saying that when he gets back, he expects to see a return on the investment. We call that ROI, right? Return on investment. That's what the king says, hey, do business with this so there'll be an ROI that I can see when I get back. And here's the thing that we need to realize. We are in this parable. We are existing between when the king was here, his first coming, and when he's coming back, his second coming, and everything that we have really is a resource that God's given to us for a reason. And we're called to be faithful. We are the servants in the story. Every good thing we have is on loan to us from God. But while we're here doing this, we also realize that there is opposition to God. The next verse says this, and again, Jesus is still telling this story. He says, but his citizens, this nobleman, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And again, this is something that would be common in the first century when all the kings, when the, when the guys go to say, okay, who's gonna get, who's gonna take over for King Herod? They're vying for positions, but Actually, in history, Jerusalem sent a delegation of Jews to say, we don't want Archelaus, you know, and so, and, but he actually became kind of like a king. But anyway, so that all, this is all fresh in their mind. This all happened just a couple of decades, 20 to 30 years before Jesus is saying all this. But the story points out, some don't want to follow the king. We get it. So God's generous. We have a responsibility with what God's given us, those resources, and we recognize that some are not, are not all for, they're not all in on Jesus. We get that. So the next is our accountability. So the story continues in verse 15. When he returned, Jesus is talking about this guy, this nobleman. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that those slaves to whom he had given money be called to him so they might know what business, so he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be an authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, You are to be over five cities. Another one came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, 
This is the king in the story. And he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I'm an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Well, then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, this is the king talking again. He says to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, master, he has 10 minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Now, that sounds a little strange to us, but in in Jewish life, that's not strange at all. That's actually a proverb that basically talks about to those who have light and they follow that light, more light will be given. But to to those who have light and reject the light, even the light they have will be taken away. So it kind of parallels that. So, Here's what's happening. He tells his 10 slaves, and we only hear about three of them to make it shorter. He he gives all these 10 slaves a pile of money, says, invest this until I come back. He comes back. He, this is our accountability piece. He says, okay, what have you done? Two guys come back and say, wow, here's how, here's what happened. It's earned this much more. And then he rewards them generously. But then the third slave comes and says, and this slave did not really know the king. He thought he knew the king because he describes the king in terrible terms. Really, this is an insult to the king. He says, hey, you're a guy that you reap where you didn't sow. You, You demand things from people that you shouldn't demand. And so, and then, so the king says in the story, well, you're going to be judged by your own words. If you're saying to me that I'm a harsh king, well, then that should motivate you even more since I told you to do business with the money that you would put it in the bank or do something to get some kind of return. If I'm so harsh, why did you think it would be okay not to have any return at all? You know, that's kind of the way this plays out. But he doesn't really know the king. We know that because of what happened to the first two slaves who said, look, your money's earned more money, and he gives them authority over cities. And so here's what he's saying. We, as followers of Christ, will be held accountable. Soon, Jesus, as I said, will go to Jerusalem. He will be crucified to death, This is all going to happen in the next week from the time Jesus tells this story. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be resurrected three days later. And then 40 days after that, he ascends to heaven. And he's telling them there's going to be a gap between when the king is here and the king's coming back to rule on earth. And during this gap, we're accountable with our resources. They're actually God's resources that he has trusted to us. And when he comes back, he's going to evaluate our faithfulness. That's how this applies to us. And so for those who rejected the king, and here's why nobody likes to talk about this story. Inside the story, remember that there was that group that sent a delegation when he went to get his kingship that opposed him. Well, he deals with that. The king in the story deals with that in the next verse, verse 27. 
So the king of the story says, but these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. So they are judged severely. And so as we look at this parable as a whole, we see three groups of people and then uh, the three fates of those people. And it's really three different responses to the king. The first group is obvious. These are the faithful servants of the king. The king has given them resources. They've leveraged those resources for the king's agenda. And then when the king gets back, he rewards them. He rewards them graciously. Then the second group, if you will, is represented by the one slave who says, he says he knows the king. In this case, we'd say it, it illustrates somebody who, they say they know Jesus. They say maybe they're a Christian or a follower of Christ, but they don't really obey God. They don't do what he says. And then when it gets right down to it, they see God as super harsh. And they say, no, uh, because of that, I'm fearful and I'm going to be disobedient. And so they're disobedient. And, God, and then the king takes away even what they had. And then there's a third group who they're openly rejecting the king and then their fate uh, continues here as they uh, are judged severely for those who openly reject him. So this is explaining our responsibility as followers of Jesus today to leverage resource. What's interesting to me about the parable is this ends kind of harshly. That's why a lot of Pastors don't cover this parable, but think about it. Today we have a bunch of people. This ends harshly, so pastors don't teach on this parable. Why? Because a bunch of people say, wow, if Jesus tells a story of a king who judges those who reject him so severely, I don't like that. And so I'm not going to follow a king like that. And if he's like that, if he's that harsh of a judge, I don't have to follow him. Amazingly, this is a lot like the second group, right? The, second, the, the third slave, if you will, who said, oh, you're a harsh man, and so because you're harsh, I don't have to follow you. And, and then the king's like, well, if I'm so harsh, why didn't you do what I said? We could carry that over today. Oh, if, God, if you're judging God to be harsh, and you're doing that because you don't really know how generous God is, if you're judging God that way to know that he does punish sin, which is what actually justice requires, and then you turn away, well, it, your own reasoning doesn't stand up. Your own words will serve to judge you. If you think God is so harsh, then why don't you obey him? You would have even more motivation to do that. But the people that really follow God are the ones who know that God is actually generous, that we could never outgive God. We can never give him more than he gives us. Any more than, than my two-year-old granddaughter could outgive me, her granddad. It's the same with us and God. So that's, it's this vision where it explains that God's going to be gone, that we're in this time frame that we, have, that, that we live in, that we have this responsibility to leverage our resources for Christ. And so how do we apply that today, our vision? 
we look around, and you guys can see week to week how we as a church are trying to leverage our resources and see people come to Christ. We've been sharing a couple of stories every Sunday, and we will continue to do that all through this series. Just, just some of the just random stories about the life change that we see all the time. But today, we're going to take a little sharper focus, and we're going to say, okay, you see what our vision is every day now, but now we want to talk about a specific vision that we're looking at for the next three years. And so now we have some brochures that we want to pass out. I told you that we had put something in your hand, and we're going to do that today. And so as they hand out those brochures that we're going to kind of go through just a little bit, it's the same thing that I said last time. Every three or four years here at Grace and the rhythm of our ministry, every three or four years we try to stop and take a critical look of what we're doing and how effective we are. We try to figure out, plan, and calculate, and strategize how we can be more aggressive or, if you don't like that term, more effective in what we're trying to do. So what happened in this process is that over the last several months, we have brought our leaders together, our campus leaders, and we tried to figure out, okay, things are going well. God's done amazing things at Grace. But as we have opportunity, is there a way that we can more effectively leverage our resources to accomplish more for the kingdom, more for the king, before he comes back. And as we met with all three campuses to figure this out, the leaders of those campuses, we realized that we got it down to three specific areas. And that's what our brochure is going to point out. And you can take this home and look at it in detail. I'm just going to kind of go over this a, a little more quickly. But first of all, you can open up that first page, and that's our vision. And what is our, you should know our vision. Our vision is that we want to reach people for Christ. More specifically, and I'll need you to tune on here because I'm going to need some help. We have a motto that has four D's. Are you ready? Because we're going to say this, right? We here at Grace want to help people discover truth, decide on Jesus, demonstrate change, Deploy for others. That's exactly right. Good job. You did that better than first service. And there were more of them, so that's good. Uh, so good job. Yeah, those four Ds. That's what we're trying to do all the time. That's our vision. And as we're looking at that, so we have these three campuses with three goals. Now I want to look at the three goals that we came up with. And they're basically this. Creating unique spaces for kids training leaders, and launching an, another church, or what we would call a campus. So if you flip over, creating unique spaces. This one thing, I'm going to go in a little more detail, so hang with me, okay? Because there's five things that are in this. It's all about the kids' gym. The children's gym for us has been great. Uh, we've used that effectively. We have a theme going on. But we realize that it's become dated for example, um, well, I'll get there in just a minute. The first thing I want to talk about is the, 
in the two-story gym, around the second story, there's classrooms around the outside of the gym. And those, and those are, and there's a mezzanine level, and there's a mezzanine wall. We're looking at tearing out the mezzanine wall and replacing that with a vertical rail system or with glass rails like we have in the uh, youth center. And so, and there's a specific way, a reason that we want to do this. And this is all about reaching young families. When young families come in with their kids, they enter the gym, they have to go through security, and they check their kids in. And if they have three different ages of kids, usually the parents will stay with the younger kids. That means the older kids are sent upstairs. And so what a parent has her child do, if you think about this, is they're standing in the gym and they tell their child, go out the gym doors, the side doors, go up the stairs, come back into the gym, go along this mezzanine wall, which I can't see you, and then I've heard multiple parents tell their kids this, and when you get to your door, wave your hand above the rail, and I'll assume that's your hand, and then go into your room and I'll see the top of the door open and I'll assume that you went in. So we're looking at taking that barrier down for visibility, all right? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is we want to resurface our gym floor. We, we actually did this ourselves. We ground it down and we epoxied the floor. Uh, we had some great help on that with uh, Tom Price and some people came together and made that all happen. But now that's become dated. As a matter of fact, we can't make our gym floor look clean anymore. This is just how it looks. And we're realizing that we who have been here, we're used to that. We don't think about anything about it. But when new families come in, their first thought when new moms come in is, why didn't somebody mop this floor? Well, it's actually been mopped. I mean, that's as clean as it gets. So we want to resurface the floor with sort of a high shine uh, laminate or you know, finish. Uh, and so here's some examples. We don't know exactly what that'll look like. This is just what it could look like, but just something that's high shine and looks very clean. Third, are you with me still? Or are you zoning out? All right, because it's hard to picture because some of you haven't been over there much. Third is we have four sets of double doors that go into our gym from one end, right? Four sets of double doors. We're looking at the two outer sets of double doors, which are right next to our stairways, removing those doors. And then that creates a lot more visibility where people in the lobby can look in to the gym. Then, because those doors are removed, we're going to back up a few feet, and we're going to put in a glass partition. The glass partition will run from the wall on the north side, for example, that separates the entrance and the stairway, that wall, from there to the wall that has the remaining two double doors. That's actually all one line. So we'll put a glass partition there. What that does for us is now the stairway is now inside the gym. So now when a parent tells their child to go, up the, go upstairs, they don't go out any doors, it's open. They see them go up the stairway, they pop out on the mezzanine, they can see them on the mezzanine, and they can watch them enter their classroom. So it's more secure that way. The other thing that does is it creates more security. Here at Grace, we're a little wigged out about child security. We've never had a problem, but we, if you don't know this, to, be, to work in our children's area, and we're always needing workers, is you have to be a member of Grace. We have to know you. 
Secondly, you have to pass a background check. And thirdly, anybody that comes in and drops off a kid, they actually get a security sticker and they're not to come back into that area unless they have a sticker that says they have a child there. But when parents watch their kids go into these rooms upstairs or bottom stairs, the parents see that every single room has a glass window in it, uh, in the door, and that those parents know they can leave our service at any time while they're on our property here and go back and put their eyes on their child. Never had a problem, never want to have a problem, so we are ultra secure with our kids. That partition, the glass partition, will also keep somebody from entering our north doors over there and then just going upstairs without going through our security or past our children's workers. So that's going to change all that. So make it way more secure, way more visible, way more usable. You following me so far? Okay. And then uh, the other thing is this. Toward the back of the gym... In one back corner of the gym, as you're looking into the gym, it would be the back right-hand corner, we're looking at building a smaller footprint but very tall play area to help kids burn off energy. So it'll be about 16 by 16. It'll take up less than a quarter of our gym, like maybe an eighth of our gym, but it'll be two and a half stories high. Kids can enter it from the bottom, from the gym level, or from the mezzanine level and slide down to the gym level. And so what that does is it gives them a place to play. We're going to try to create this with high visibility so your kids don't enter it and then you can't see them and you assume they're in there. Maybe they'll pop out at some point. No, we want to make it where you can see into it and know what's going on. And then on the other side of the back part of the gym will be a play area for smaller kids who tend to get run over by bigger kids. They'll have a spot that will have a knee wall around it. It will also be themed with an octopus where those little kids can play in there and have a smaller slide and then big kids don't go in there. And all that so when parents come to our church, especially new parents, they drop off their kids, they see their kids go to their rooms, they know they can go look at their kids anytime. But when church is over, they go to the gym, they get their kids, but then they can release their kids to play in the gym, older ones on both levels, younger ones within that designated area, so they can stand there and talk to other couples, other parents, and interact with them, but have eyes on their children the whole time. Yeah, Johnny's running around the mezzanine. Uh, Billy is in the, the play area, and little Susie is in the, the small kids area where there's a knee wall, but I can see over that. And so they can see their kids play. They can relax about their kids because they can see them. Their kids will be entertained rather than going, Mommy, Mommy. Well, you know how that goes, Mommy, Mommy. No, go play, and they can have fun. And then they can't get out of that area unless they walk right by the parents because there's only two sets of doors left. Does that all make sense? Thanks for hanging with me on that. So that's one goal, create unique children's space. For us, it's remodeling. For Tiffin, it's building square footage. Uh, for um, Northwood, it's a little bit of both. And so that's first goal. Second goal is train leaders. If you'll flip the page, train leaders. Oh, and by the way, why would we do that? Why would we spend money to remodel our gym and make all those changes? Because we want to stay aggressive and, and right now be more aggressive or more effective to reach young families. 
So when young families come in, the kids are like, wow, and maybe even the parents are like, wow, and that they want to be here, and we make their experience safe, clean, and they can connect with, other, with believers. That's what we want to happen. All right, training leaders. Here on this next page, you see a bunch of leaders. All these are people that have gone through our internship or our residence program. Our residence program is only like three years old. But before that, and we still have interns, like summer interns. So all these people on this, you see people who are currently, or who have been through our internship program, they're on the left. Some of them are in school right now. Some of them are with us. Then there's residents. That's a full-time, one-year commitment. All the, we pay our interns and our residents, uh, and they provide a lot of help for us. So then the residents are the two there. Right now, it's Brandon and Logan. And then the next two groups are full-time ministry people and full-time pastors. All of these people listed have gone through our internship or our residency program. And if you'll notice on the right-hand side, most of these full-time pastors are right here at Grace. But you'll also notice there's Brad Ish, I think that's uh, down at the bottom. He went to Columbus, started a church, is thriving down there. Nick Cleveland, who grew up here, went through uh, an internship with us. He's leading the church at Worcester. That's the same size of church that we are, you know, big church, and doing that. The rest of the guys are with us. And then full-time ministry. All these people are people who went through either our internships or residence, and now they're serving the Lord full-time. And the ones that are serving in different locations, uh, for example, Jeff Walter is with Nick. All these guys are serving in Bible teaching, gospel preaching churches, solid churches, every single one of them. And, and half of the people up here, we trained in just the last three years. So we feel like we have a track record, and our goal is to train 20 more new leaders over the next three years through our internship and our resident, residencies. We actually believe that we are in a unique position to do this type of training. Let me explain that. We're a big enough church, because we're a big church in a small town, we're big enough where we have all these ministries that huge mega churches have, churches that are 10,000 or whatever. They have the same things. You know, we do all the, we have the children's ministry, the youth ministry, with staff people doing all that. We have the tech ministry. We have the cameras. We have the stuff on the screen. We have the video production. We have the smoke. We have the lights. We have the, you know, everything we have is what large churches do that. So we have all the stuff. But we're small enough that when somebody comes in and trains in any of those areas, they get, uh, full access to everything. They're in meetings with me and every other pastor on a weekly basis. They're in the middle of everything. So they get the best of both worlds. We feel like the size of our church has uniquely kind of qualified us to train leaders, and we have a great track record of doing that, and we want to continue. And then the third goal, are you ready? Flip the page, is launch another campus. We believe one of the most effective ways to reach people in our area is to launch new churches, to launch a church. We launch churches by campusing, and so we don't know where that map, all the blue dots, are just areas that we've considered, and we'll continue to consider that. That's not going to happen real fast during this three-year period. That'll happen 
if, if we can make it happen at the kind of toward the end of the three-year period, but we're evaluating all these areas. We're trying to raise up leaders and, and find a leader uh, within our training system, within our own pipeline, that will want to go and take that. And it's a huge commitment and a big sacrifice to do that. So we're looking for that leader. We're trying to make all this happen, but we feel uh, like that's been huge for us. Let me just say a word about these campuses. I mean, what happened in Tiffin was phenomenal. I mean, two and a half years ago, we sent, you know, 220 or so people to Tiffin. And in about five months, they tripled in size. And then COVID hit. And so this is our vision being carried out. And, and even with the, the COVID thing, God has still continued to bless us. So, and we're looking at how we can replicate that again. But before I continue, before I wrap this up, I want to hear for you to hear another story of a couple, the Carells. Uh, my name is Mason Carell. My name is Becca Carell. Um, we're both 2014 graduates of Columbian High School. We're high school sweethearts. Early on in our lives, we had a very clear vision of what we wanted in life. Wanted to have get married, have kids, and raise them here in Tiffin. We got married in 2017. After we got married, we started to kind of fall away from church and um, knew something was missing, just hadn't made God a priority in, in our lives. In 2019, we found out we were expecting a baby girl, and we decided that it was time to find a home church to start coming every week. We found out that Grace was going to be coming to Tiffin, and we had a couple of friends that attended Fremont Grace, so they invited us to come the first week, so we attended, and we really enjoyed it. After beginning to attend Grace, we really began to just immerse ourselves in God's Word. Um, it's helped us to grow relationally, spiritually. We've joined different groups here between Bible study, fight club, and just really developed new relationships with a lot of different people, and it's just changed our everyday lives for the better. One of the classes that we attended here at Grace was Financial Peace University. It's the, the Dave Ramsey program. Um, he really helped us to understand our money, our finances. It's changed our perspective on just money in general and, and really made us think that um, everything we have comes from God and, and so we should strive to be good stewards of what he's given us. I, I thank God every day for leading us to grace and opening our hearts to his word. I thank him for just showing us what his plan was for our lives and, and that grace was a part of it. And if it weren't for people believing in grace's mission, um, our lives would be completely different. So I want to say thank you. Um, thank you to everybody who was part of the launch team, everybody who volunteered their time, gave their money to grow grace into Tiffin and to reach people like us. So great. Appreciate having the, the Corrells at our Tiffin campus. And so if we could just recap, since I had a talk like this with you before three years ago, here's what God's done in the last three years. Two of those years, we had something called COVID. You know, so three years, two of which we had all the COVID issues in our country. Here's what happened. Our three campuses in the last three years saw 285 people get baptized during those three years, during most of that during COVID time. 381 became members, went through our membership class, became members at one of our campuses. 
634 people indicated salvation during these three years, and all that in spite of COVID. And not only that, in addition to that, those other two campuses, Tiffin and Northwood, Grace Point at Northwood, Grace Community at Tiffin, all of our campuses are financially self-sustaining. So I think sometimes people think, well, we're given a grace, but that's going to all these other places. Actually, Tiffin, Tiffin, we bought land there and, and we bought uh, some industrial buildings, but then we had to remodel and we had to add. And so we bought it with the money that we raised like this, but then there was a loan to put in bathrooms and the stuff we needed. Well, Tiffin is able to service their own loan. I mean, all three campus are, campuses are financially independent. And all three have different needs, but they all fall into these three categories. And so that's what we're trying to do. It takes everyone, and we want everyone with us. So here's what we're talking about. Everyone on three, here's what we're saying. And I think I've made a mistake with this in the past. We're looking at, we're just saying this. Hey, if you're giving to grace, if you're financially supporting our church, or, or you're serving, or most people are doing both, but if you're doing those things, first of all, thank you. You see these testimonies? That's because of you, your investment. And God is pleased with that. You're leveraging resources to impact God's kingdom. So I say, good job. Thank you. Now what we're trying to do is say, hey, we already have our vision and this is going well. But we think maybe God has called us to more, just like launching Tiffin was more. And so we're asking you, there should be a card in the back of your brochure to take this card home, hang it on your refrigerator, think about it, pray about it for a couple of weeks to see whether you can give toward this. But now here's the disclaimer. When we say give toward this project, what we mean is that you can give over and above what you already give. We already have a budget based on what people have been giving, what we give. But now we're saying, okay, that budget's set. We're doing great. We're doing great things. But now we think we can ratchet up another level for God's kingdom. We could be even more effective if we do these things. So we're asking you, just consider that. And if you feel like you can give more over and above your current giving, we want you to put that portion down on this card and let us know. If you'll notice, we're not even asking your name. We're just saying, if you know that you can give over and above what you're already given to grace, if in two weeks you will tell us that, that will help us plan how to do these three projects that I just presented to you. And what I've done wrong in the past is we, we always have new believers at Grace. And I used to say things like this. Hey, if you're a new believer and you don't really give to Grace, forget this. You shouldn't even think about doing this. You should just learn how to trust God to give. You can never outgive God. You should just try to figure out, talk to God about just supporting grace in some way because we're your church. And if you're new and if you're sitting in here, remember somebody in a campaign just like this gave to build this building and to provide the seat that you're sitting in it just a few years ago. We're just trying to do that again. And so if you can give over and above, we want you to let us know. And then there's one more category. Some people gave what we call Growing with Grace as our umbrella. Now it's EO3. 
But some people gave to Growing with Grace, and then that ended. And by the way, we don't hold you to this. We never visit you. We never say, hey, you're not doing good enough. Hey, you didn't do what you said. We don't, we're not even asking your name. What we're saying is, hey, if you think you can do this, if you're planning to do this, tell us, and we'll know how to plan better. But if you were giving to Growing with Grace before, that campaign ended about a year ago. Then we got up here. I got up here and said, hey, that campaign's over. Whether you gave what you planned to, planned to give or you didn't give what you planned to give, it doesn't matter. Feel released. You're done. Campaign over. Thank you very much. If you happen to continue giving, we'll still put this into our vision. Well, for those of you that continued, for your money, you like let's say, yeah, $50 a week, I've been given my, I've been given $100, but say $20 a week, I've been given to uh, growing with grace. Well, we need, we need to know that 20, and you're just going to continue that. Then we need to put the 20 on the card. That's, that's what that means to us, so that'll help us. Does that make sense? So take this home. Think about it. If, you, if you're excited about it, you want to help us, figure out between you and God how you can do that. Let us know in a couple weeks, and then we'll blast forward. Let's stand together. Father God, we thank you for everybody here at Grace. And Lord, uh, we don't like talking about money much, but, but Jesus did all the time. And so we probably need to get over that. Lord, we're all adults. We understand ministry takes money. Lord, just help us uh, to hit the right balance. Lord, and, and give us wisdom on how we use resources, resources that people have sacrificed to give. Lord, let us put those to good use to leverage those for the fullest impact in the most effective way for your kingdom. Help us to change lives for your honor and glory. Help us to reach people for you. Lord, and thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for the generosity that you poured into our lives and help us to have wisdom to be faithful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here. Remember, the easiest way to get tickets is you just walk in there and right behind this wall, and they, you walk out with a ticket. If you buy online, you're going to have to go to Will Call when you get here on Friday night. So the easiest way is right there. Thanks.